0: Welcome to the Mindful Runner podcast, a show about running and racing, trail and ultra in South Africa. Along the way, we'll be talking training, gear, nutrition and mindfulness, all in the context of the South African racing scene. I'm your host, Fred Richardson, founder and head coach at Mindful Runner. Stay tuned as I do my best to give you all the information and none of the waffle. In this episode I'm going to be talking with Graham Bird. If you've followed along in the last six episodes then we've heard from some of the major characters involved in this incredible event called the Drakensberg Grand Traverse. Over the years there's been lots of discussion in various groups about somebody should make a race out of this. Well Graham and Spurge have stepped up to the plate and they're the guys who will be organizing the first Drakensberg Grand Traverse run. DGT run. Graham, aka Tweet, is an experienced adventure racer. He and his team, the Merrill Adventure Addicts, have raced all around the planet over the last 15 years. Tweet is also an event organizer, both for adventure races and for a number of iconic trail races that happen around South Africa. Spurge Flemington is the organizer of the Giants Cup Trail and the Ultra Trail Drakensberg and I've interviewed Spurge in the past on Trail Drakensberg. You might want to listen to that. Both of these men have a passion for the High Drakensberg, and they bring unique personalities and skills to the table, and I can think of no better people to present a DGT race than Graham Bird and Spurge Flemington. In this episode, Tweet shares his views and insights into the upcoming DGT run. Asked Tweet to share with us some of his background and his personal experience with the DGT.
1: Did the DGT back in 2014. Um, I think it's obviously once seeing Reno and and Ryan get on the DGT and having heard about it earlier, it was always something I wanted to do. And we had the opportunity and we we went out and did it. And we did it in November, pretty much the same time as what we're going to do the race. Absolutely loved it. I enjoy pushing myself to the limits and and finding out you know what I can do. For me, it's always been something I've wanted to to push to another level for for other people. So, a GGT race uh, sort of makes sense for me. Been a, an adventure racer since two thousand and five, so I suppose long distance and these um, these type of things where you're pushing yourselves through the night and uh, sort of non-stop are part of my DNA. Uh, and then been a trail run organizer since 2011. So, combining the two with the DGT run made sense for me and uh, hope to
0: get other people out there to experience it. Yeah, and you're living in the Berg now, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I moved to the Southern Drakensberg at the beginning of 2020. It's a new chapter of my life. Been in Joburg, been in Neisner, and now, yeah, now the Drakensberg. we just down here to experience the, the big mountains, the Different type of uh, scenery and really loving it and really enjoying it. And any time that I have popped up onto the top of the escarpment and into Lesotho, it's always been a wow moment. It doesn't it doesn't lose its appeal. Um, you know, even now that I'm down here and do pop up a lot more than than I used to. Yeah, it is pretty special up there. My vision for the race is make the DGT a little bit more accessible for the average. Well, I say average person, it's not really an average person that can jump up there at any point in time. I think DGT is always, for a lot of people, holds you know, they want to do it, but there's a lot of challenges to doing a DGT. You don't just pop up there and do it. It's uh, preparation, it's logistics, it's safety. And I think for me, one of the big things of looking to organize an event is trying to take a lot of that, that hassle away and just get let people you know do their training and get up there and do it and we try our best to look after them so that was one of my reasons for for looking to do it and then secondly was you know potentially bringing a little bit more um, coverage and a little bit marketing and and more people to the area so not it's not only about the race it's also about building uh a- dgt is a potential hiking trail you know it's there but making it a little bit more accessible for the everyday person to go and do over five or ten days whenever they want to so that's you know also part of the vision is the long-term goal with dgt is you know maybe putting one or two refuge huts up there
0: getting the locals involved you know organizing the safety and making it easier for people to do the dgt i think on one story was the, the clearest on how challenging it is to actually get yourself to the start and then when you're at the finish what do you do? Who picks you up? And if you do have to bail, how do you coordinate that? And what do you do when you're bailing?
1: Yeah. I mean, for the race, obviously we're going to look after all of that. And then obviously it's part of the vision for the DDT trail throughout the year is then assisting people in, in how to do it and, Probably the main thing for that is looking after the safety of, of people up there or not look not us particularly, but making it safer for people to do it. You know that's what we'll start working on. Uh, we want to get the first race up and going, and then
0: start to work on this DGT Trust and a DGT uh, long-term vision. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that DGT Trust during this interview because that's really fascinating. In terms of of the race, okay, so we've done the history interviews um, and we've had brief discussions. We know what people have experienced during the event, but don't you want to just summarize for us what the race is about? Totally simplified.
1: Obviously, start at the Sentinel and and finish at Bushman's Neck 100 hours later. We don't want to comp. Complicated much more than that. uh, Really, for the athletes, it's you know we'll get everyone to to the sentinel, start them all, look after the safety of people uh, within respect. You know this is the drakensberg it's not like we can pull a car up or an ambulance up or a medic up. You know at any point on the trail, so there's going to be logistical challenges to that, and a lot of uh, runners needing to look after themselves while it takes us time to get to them. Basically, facilitating people to start at Sentinel and finish Bushman's Neck to to look after them the best we can in in the middle. And we think we've got a good enough safety plan. And, um, you know, we've also gone about and got all the correct permissions, which is something both Spurge and I have felt very strongly about, is we didn't want to just be popping people up there and then running across uh, Lesotho uh, without actually having spoken to... Lesotho government and more importantly the chiefs and uh, the districts uh, that we will run through. You're sticking to its six peaks. Yeah, I think the year we did it, we got about two or four or something, or two or five, with about six and oh no, about seven or seven and a half thousand meters of climbing. Um, yeah, and uh, the intention at this stage, it's all been stated that we will stick to, or we will, we'll stick to the six peaks as Gavin has, you know, defined the DGT up the Sentinel up at Sentinel, the chain ladders, pick up the six peaks and descend via Tomatu Pass into Bushman's Neck. So basically those at this stage is the only conditions we're putting down. You need to touch the six peaks and then you need to descend through Tomatu Pass to Bushman's Neck. We've drawn the route on the map and we've looked at it, you know, we've looked at how many potential different routes people could take from a safety point of view and at this stage, we're feeling that you know we're not going to lock people into you have to take this route between that peak and that peak. We we want to almost leave that so that the athletes can also decide that we will give a a GPS route for those who who maybe don't have access to one, or and uh, people are welcome to follow that. But if they do want to deviate off it, use a valley to the left or to the right or be up on the ridge instead of the valley we're not gonna have any issues with that it's basically touch the six peaks and descend via bushman's neck once we do all of our final wrecking which is all going to be done in February next year you know we might have to come back with certain little sections that are, might have to be passed through but at this stage it's an open
0: open route except for the six six peaks the route as it is right now is, is probably the same route that Ryan and Raynor used seems to be the shortest. But that's not necessarily the most scenic route, is it? Were you guys tempted to maybe deviate from the way the FKT is set up?
1: No, I, I don't think for me at all. Uh, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. I think you spend enough time up on the escarpment. You know, my recollections of of having done it is there's enough times where you are on the escarpment and see the amazing views and then there's enough times when you're down in the valleys in lesotho and you're experiencing those as well i suppose one of the biggest problems with being up on the escarpment you have weather up on that ridge line tends to be where the winds are the strongest and potentially the coldest and you're in mist so sometimes you do want to be you want to be off in the valleys off to the side because it's more sheltered and so yeah no, for me i had no i've got no desire to to change it and force people to be up on this beautiful section or that i think the whole thing is has got its beauty throughout um you know in different in different aspects and different parts you also touched on Ryan and Rayner's route. I think that route has become a little bit more common knowledge now. It seems to be floating around uh, a lot more. Again, we're not prescribing any particular route. Uh, we've looked at the maps, and you know, Ryan and Rayners route obviously runs through certain valleys. Who's to say that that is the the most efficient or not? It's the it's the one that holds the FKT at this stage, but maybe there is scope for improving it or not. Who knows, has has anyone actually gone in and tried to improve it? And so maybe there is, and maybe this race, um, if it continues into the years, maybe guys will start finding slightly quicker options or slightly quicker quicker routes.
0: So that's also an exciting part of how things could develop. You need to also assess your own skills. And this, obviously now during the event, the skills of your partnership and decide whether maybe you are a better climber. And, and so you would choose a higher line than somebody who's not a good climber for instance
1: both andrew made that point as well as well as reyna in in, in both the podcasts and it's 100 percent true it's it might be quicker for me on this line but it's quicker for andrew on that line yeah you've got to find your own things but you know for the majority of the races that are coming to this are they going to have the time and the the ability that that andrew and, and Rainer have put into to finding where they can work to their strengths uh, I think there will be some guys who will go and do that but the majority of people possibly won't so over the years they'll then learn hey let's be on this side of the river instead of that side or let's be on the ridge instead of there uh, the more time they spend up there that's possibly one of the you know one of the ideas that we we've got with the training camp is this is not not a, an ordinary race that anyone it's completely different to anything that anyone would have done, and. What we want to do is we just want to get people up there so that they can understand what it's like to be on the top of the Drakensberg. There's nothing really that compares anywhere else in the country. The weather can come in, it can can be super hot and 10 minutes later, you can have all your gear on. And also just understand what the terrain is like up there, um, how to look after yourself uh, through the nights. Um, So it's more just being being with people up there. Getting an understanding for that. It's not really about showing them the route or this or that, because at the end of the day, 210 kilometers, it's difficult to remember all the parts. It's more about uh, just making sure people have an understanding of what it's going to be like up there. Yeah. So that's the idea behind the training camps. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As you say, um, spending time up there, understanding the difference between being on the goat track and being yeah three meters to the left of the go track and really struggling. The compulsory gear list uh, that you've published, it looks like a fairly standard mountain gear list. I'd imagine the teams looking to win the event are going to be going with just what you've specified. But between the front of the race, you guys are estimating about between 38 and 44 hours and the back of the race at a hundred hour limit. That's a lot of time difference. What would you recommend that the slower guys, the slower teams actually carry? more than the compulsory?
1: The back guys, the guys who are going to spend a bit more time out there, I would be looking to maybe taking a a small bivvy tent. You know, there are a lot of good ones around the kg or kg and a half. It would be more about taking something like that because the guys who are going to do anywhere from 50 to 100 hours, they're going to be sleeping a few times along the route. They're probably going to suffer a bit more weather than the the quicker guys. So my advice would be to take something that's going to make your sleep uh, a lot more pleasant you know if your sleep can be pleasant you're recovering a lot better which means you're going to move a lot quicker obviously the faster guys are going to go in planning not to sleep and not to stop as much and rely on keeping moving to keep themselves warm uh, which we also get and understand so yeah i think those that's that's the difference for me is the slower guys hopefully they just take a little bit more to make themselves a bit more comfortable when they do stop because they, they generally
0: will stop a bit more. Do you, do you picture a scenario where guys are fighting for space and caves?
1: Possibly. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, it's obviously our intention to to put, you know, onto the tracks and onto the, the GPX file that we provided on will be to put all the shelters that we do know about along the route so that people have the ability to go to any of those points should they get into trouble. And, they might use them and decide that that's where they're going to go and, and haul up for the night. And, yeah, you could could find a – could could be an interesting situation, a cave made for four people and has 20 people arriving at it. it be, be a good photo, help. But at least there's more warmth. Eh? 20 people snuggling is uh, – yeah, I'd be quite excited. say, as
0: an adventure racer, I'm sure you're very familiar with teams cramming into small places. Yeah, there. Or... Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're asking for a racing CV to accompany an entry what are you looking for in that cv i mean what's going to make you say no sorry you can't race this
1: it's not a like for me it's not a racing cv per se this is it's a, it's more an experience cv uh, for me that that's what i'm going to be looking for is what's your experience and what's your headspace you know so someone who's done 100 miler possibly's got a better headspace than someone who's done only done like 10 10 hour races or something it's more about what's your experience and then actually a pure running cv and i've got these results and i've ticked off this and i've ticked off that it's more you know what is the length of time you've been out there have you been through some sort of hardship have you been in the high mountains I'm not saying that you necessarily have to have all of those things so it's it's just trying to get an idea of you know is that person going to be able to handle whatever gets thrown at them up in the in the top
0: of the mountain and it'll also give you some indication who you need to be perhaps more aware of if they get lost or if they get into difficulty?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say we're going to be putting our eye on anyone in particular. I think the whole field, you know, we're not there to, we'll watch you and we won't watch you. We'll we watch everyone exactly the what's, same.
0: what's the barest minimum you're going to accept, given the fact that you are having the training camps? So in theory, if I'm a, a marathon runner and I want to do the DGT and I come on a training camp and you you take me through, through the night in the berg, Surely, I'm going to be fairly well prepared. I would almost then self like select myself I, because if you've been through that, surely you're going to be going. Yes, I want to do this, or hell no, there's no way I'm doing this.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's also part of The, the training camp we're going to we want to take people on the training camp, let them understand. So you might find people come on the training camp and go, hey, this is not for me. Like you said, you might get some guy who's got very minimal experience comes on a training camp and absolutely thrives because he's now found his calling or he he's just has the ability and the head to to cope with whatever is thrown at him up on the top of the mountain. I think anyone and everyone can do this. There's no stopping people because you can't really do it. It's once, If you put your mind to it, you can get through all of this. And that's what we wanna help with the training camps and ultimately,
0: help with the race is getting people through getting getting people through this. are your checkpoints going to be manned and if so so when we talk to checkpoints we're talking about the six highest points are you going to be manning those points
1: no i probably at this stage we'll do like i said obviously we we're going to be spending probably four to five weeks up there in in february along the route actually finalizing exactly where and what we'll put sort of safety stuff but at this stage. Um, the the plan is not to put people, man people at the checkpoints. The reason being is they're very exposed. I think you know, you know, you you Fred know exactly how exposed Tabana, um, Tabana is. So we won't want to put teams and put our people at risk and having to sit there for hours and hours exposed to where at least the runners come through, tag the peak and they're off the peak and down into the sheltered area within four or five minutes so the the plan at this stage is we'll probably be putting um, satellite boxes um, at the peaks which will read a timing chip as you go past so we'll obviously clock we'll get the clock in to know that everyone's past the peak and that you've actually successfully gone there and then continue along your way in terms of safety teams actual checkpoint people along the route again still to be finalized we don't want to, because we want to keep the route open between the peaks, we'll put our safety teams up, you know in the mountains and we'll put them in in a slight you know a sheltered area, either just on the route that we give or slightly off so that at least they're in the area in the vicinity should there be an incident with one of the runners and they can respond uh, accordingly. So, some runner might uh, run the whole race and not see any of our checkpoint guys except for the Sony Road Crossing. Doesn't mean that our guys aren't there and we're not checking up on you. It just means, you know, they're in a sheltered spot, uh, ready to respond if there's uh, an emergency. And then we rely on technology and tracking to to get the the checkpoint
0: ticked off. Yeah, those high points can be very exposed. Well, they're obviously they're the highest points around. They're all exposed. And as you mentioned earlier as well, even running on the ridges when the weather's wrong is just
1: yeah, it's, it's crazy, but it's, they, they, you know, they, they durable. Um, I remember during our time when we did, uh, DGT, we, we came up the ridge for Mafadi and I think for the four of us, it was like some of the coldest that we'd ever been in our lives. And we, I remember we just all huddled in and we just said, listen, no one sprained an ankle, no one stopped or anything. We needed just keep moving. For this ten or fifteen minutes, and get out of this weather. You know, take the peak, and then just get down. And we all needed to just focus and keep moving. And knew that if one of us stopped, it was we going to put the other two or three of us into a cold situation. So it's just knowing that hey, it's ten minutes or fifteen minutes, and you can drop off into a valley, and uh, you know, be a lot more,
0: a lot more sheltered and a lot more so warm. So even discounting wind chill, going down into a valley, it's going to improve by three or four degrees. Oh, yeah. That same story, you know, for, with
1: Mafadi. We hit Mafadi and it was ridiculous. Like, we, we were all coldest we'd sort of ever been. And we dropped off at Mafadi, you drop off very quickly into Lesotho down, down a valley and you drop a couple of hundred meters, probably in the space of a kilometer or two kilometers. And within half an hour, we were down the bottom. Rain jackets were off. Um, we were a lot warmer. And that was just half an hour. So it's knowing how to deal with that and knowing the cold okay cool just keep keep calm get down the hill and you are back in the world as far
0: as the website goes you got two cutoffs do you imagine there being more cutoffs than those two
1: you know those are the two published cutoffs which we will we will look to enforce obviously the first one as a percentage of the race, they're not, they're not, you know, the two cutoffs are not split evenly. The first cutoff is relatively quick. Actually. I think it's at 50 Ks cliff peak, 53 Ks or 55, but you know, that cutoff time, if anyone's battling with altitude, and if anyone can't handle the mountain, or if anyone realizes this, this is not for them, or they just way out of their depth, we'd rather catch them sooner than later. So hence an early cutoff, um, and I think, you know, having chatted with Rainer a lot, generally anyone who gets to Cleft Peak and gets there fine, they're gonna finish the DGT, basically. They, you know, they've got through the, the worst part, they've adapted, their bodies all all come right, their heads are fine, they've you know, they've settled into it. So it's that first that first cutoff is probably the, the most important one to just, you know, anyone who's gonna battle, we'd rather them not be continuing and rather getting them off the mountain earlier than sending them on and then having issues later in terms of trying to find them or then working to get them down off the mountain
0: i've been thinking so i just want that's at black mountain that that's where's the Sony checkpoint at that the road crossing of Black. so
1: mountain? majority of the dgt routes the fkt routes actually cross you cross the tar roads. so once you cross once you once you hit Sarni Top um, coming up from South Africa, you, you go through Sony Pass and then you, you hit the Sani top um, where the border post is. Then there's a tar road that runs into Lesotho from there. Um, and that passes, like you say, it passes uh, Black Mountain. Um, that's the checkpoint's probably about five or six Ks along that tar road. So it's about six K's inland from the Sony Pass top. Um, there's that's where majority of the fkt the DG, the dgt fkts pass and uh, so we'll probably set up the checkpoint there and the support station there there's actually a church there's a church very close to where everyone crosses so we'll probably use that church which is where we'll set up a base um for all the runners to come through and have their have their water table or their support station 160 kilometers into the race i Are you going to allow supporters then? Yeah, I think we will allow supporters. We're still coming up with exactly how it will work. At this stage, the idea is to to allow supporters to come up and we'll make a plan
0: to make sure that people who don't have supporters are not disadvantaged. Yeah, because I can imagine, you know, through pretty much all of the podcasts, there was just mention of like literally just crossing that road was enough of a psychological lift. Now imagine having... Somebody you love standing like waiting for you at that point that's going to be enough to get you like to there and then finish the race strong because you got that,
1: yeah. And I think it was weird when we we sat down and we started chatting about things. Uh, You know, I come from the adventure racing background where like I'm happy to go in the mountains for nine days. I think I've done a couple of adventure races that took nine and a half days and where I don't see anyone and I don't have support and I don't have boxes and i'm carrying gear for that amount of time so that's the background i came from so you know when i was like no no support stations and the guys must run from sentinel to to bushman's neck and spurge obviously comes spurge is also super tough and everything but he's obviously new TD and he was no i think we should have a support station and this and that and you know support and obviously we've come to you know, we've combined and and now there is a support station there. And um and I think it's a great thing. And it was something we also chatted about in terms of the FKT time. We've been very respectful of everyone that has done the DGT FKT, um, we've spoken to, I had a lot of chats to Reno about about doing the event there. And so it always had his, I'd like to say blessing, um, just because I feel Reno has done a, a massive amount of work on the DGT over the last few years chatting with him and realizing that the race we can't we can't put the race times into the same category as the fkt times and i think once we realized that and understand that and totally agree with it then then it was like well it doesn't really matter if we do put a support station in it because our times will be classed as different yeah, hence, obviously, the support station and aid station being being put in at, at Sarny Road. And I think it will help a lot of people. And I think it's going to open up the potential for down the line for some really, really fast times. Because you could get guys coming in and racing absolutely flat out to to Sarny Road. You know, they could get there in, what, 20, 24 hours. And then totally refresh and, and push on for the final
0: 50s. Yeah, I think if you look at 100-miler 100, 100 times, sub-24 is, is not a it's not a significantly difficult time to run, no. but you have to put that in the context of the Drakensberg. Yeah. It's n- not going to be that easy, but it'll be really interesting to see some of the experienced 100-miler teams yeah. taking it on because, because my feeling is exactly that, that if you run it hard as a 100-miler yeah. and then see where you are when you get to Sony Top. Yeah. But there might be some real surprises in terms of the time.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, the Oaks can. They can afford to then push it. definitely it. adds a fascinating aspect to the event. Yeah.
0: So, Treet, you're both, I mean, you're both accomplished race organizers. You've got your own events companies already, and, and both of you are working on events around the country. But for the DGT, have you formed a new company? Yeah, it just just makes
1: sense, and it's, it's easier. Yeah, so we just combined and just formed the DGT Adventures P2I Limited and we run, you know, we run DGT out of there. We said we've, we've obviously got plans and hopes for a DGT Trust, uh, which will obviously be a separate, an, another separate entity, uh, which maybe we'll touch on just now. Yeah,
0: actually, that's a good point. Let, let's talk about that now. The, the DGT Trust um, also publicized on the website. What are your plans with the Trust?
1: I think when Spurge and I got together to chat about this, well, you know, firstly, how did it come about that we actually both ended up on, you know, look organizing a DGT? I've lived in Neisner and I, I I organized events and DGT, I did it in 2014. And it's always been my idea, like, she's, I needed we need to put a race up there and do this as a race. So I'd always been thinking of it and 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 I couldn't I chatted with Rainer about it a long time ago. And then I'd always heard of Spurge and heard of Alter Trail Darkensburg, but I'd never met him at all. And then we moved to Underbird last last year in, in January. And, and everyone we bumped into Underbird, they were like, oh, you must meet Spurge. You must meet Spurge. And I think Spurge was the same. Everyone he bumped into, oh, you must meet uh, Grahamberg," because obviously we're both organizers. And I think Sarah my girlfriend actually started chatting with Spurge on WhatsApp about cows, they were talking about cows and dairy cows and stuff. And eventually we just said, it was like, Hey, we actually should just meet. And then we then met for a coffee and, uh, and we just chatted. And obviously since then we've become uh, mates. And at some point uh, either he said it, or I said, it, it was like the DGT Yo! and we were like, he was like, I'd love to organize a race. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And we're like, okay, well, Hey, let's maybe do this. Um, and obviously Spurge just got the contacts in the Lesotho, in terms of uh, communication with the chiefs and uh, you know government officials and border control by ultra child jarkensburg so hence yeah we said let's do this and uh, we didn't really get our asses into gear uh, last year when we hoped to because of COVID everything was like well let's wait until the borders are open and um yeah and we didn't really get it together and then eventually I think in july we were sitting we we're like no we, we must do this thing now and uh, yeah and that was i think in august we just came out and announced that we're doing it and it was more it was more to just get us off our asses and and start actually putting this thing together we met with the chief the main chief up in lesotho and he he said there's there's no problem um, we've had discussions now with izanvelo uh wildlife um they also don't seem to have any major issues. Um, we also realized that both of us had a bigger vision for the DGT and the Drakensberg Mountains, and that was to potentially open it up to more people being able to get up there and just experience it. The idea was to potentially make DGT into something of a recognised, a more recognized hiking trail. Not saying we want to open it up massively only, but just making it more accessible to the average person so potentially building some refuges since so, so making it a benefit to the local communities the the little districts that you run through in the villages that you pass really yeah. close to so that's where the idea of the trust came in is just looking at the whole bigger picture of what the DDT is is about, creating more tourism around it, creating benefits for the local communities, investing in some sort of infrastructure along the route, like I said, with those huts and potentially getting local people to man the huts so that hikers, as they come through, there's there's some shelter for them, potentially some food for them. Working with those guys and upskilling some of the locals in, in Lesotho to help with rescue and guiding and and safety up there yeah so that's sort of the idea of the trust and and where we want to go and we we also don't want it to be totally about uh myself and spurge not at all we want the the trust to be almost managed by other people you know a board of trustees you know the local chiefs be it someone from mesutu tourism someone from isambello someone like gavin potentially from mountain you know who knows the mountain really well from a hiking and point of view Potentially, mm. someone representing the runners. So there's a representative of all the people that use the mountain and and use the routes. Put them on a on a board of trustees that then helps to to guide what what actually gets done with it. So it's not totally mine and Spurge's ideas. It's ideas of a collective group of people of how we can how we can uh, bring this to to the communities, to the world, to tourism, to hikers, to runners, to everyone. And then look at and look at funding it. Obviously, the the race would would put in pots. Of the entry fees would go towards it, encouraging runners to potentially collect more money towards the trust. And then maybe down
0: the line, looking at other ways of finding. You've raced all around the world and on multi stage events, and been obviously encountering um, local populations all over the world. It enriches the whole experience, doesn't it? When you are meeting the local people versus a race organisation
1: yeah you want to you want to understand it
0: understand the area and so that's yeah that's also part of it from a safety point of view if you've got the buy in of the locals and there's actual control from a local point of view the route then becomes a whole lot safer
1: yeah you know the success of the dgt as an event is wholly dependent on the support of the local communities it is vital that they see value in it and the benefit from the dgt So we'll recognize, you know, we recognize this as one of the key factors for the event. As we go along, the specific areas that we'll focus on and developing a relationship between the event and the community is we'll look to supply, you know, get supplies and materials from the locals wherever we can. We're not shipping a whole lot of stuff up there from here, rather using them. Provide local employment wherever we can, pre and during the event. Invest in the infrastructure along the route. so potentially the huts and whatever else we feel needs, you know, channeling a portion of the entry fees back into the communities. Encourage runners to sign up as friends of DGT. So maybe, you know, they help with the fundraising towards the trust. And then focus on a year-round sustainability, you know, raising the profile of DGT as a special hike or run and upskilling the local residents to help with the guiding and help with the mountain rescue and help with the safety aspects of,
0: of anyone doing the DGT. Yeah. I think just the the fact that you guys are going to be doing this, that you are um, spending as much time as you are from a safety point of view, checking out the route is already going to make all future FKT attempts and the race safer because you're going to be bringing so much more information into the, the mix now.
1: No, I think we will. Whether it changes the FKT in the years to come, and that is you know, something one or two people have said to me. It's like, are oh, you going to change... The whole character of the root and the whole character of what it means and stuff and i suppose we will uh in to, to some certain extent but is that good or is it bad i, I don't even know the answer that it'll just be great to see so much more people up there experiencing it and enjoying the beauty of it um, whether it's in the valleys or whether it's on escarpment the beauty of pushing yourself and pushing yourself to whatever limits you might have or think you have pushing through
0: those. Limits. Yeah. bringing that up now. I, I want to actually talk a bit more about that because all of the events that you put on, well, not all of them, some of them are accessible to people who aren't looking to push themselves. But if I look at your fast events, for instance, you're definitely the kind of organizer who is looking to get people to dig deep into themselves
1: yeah, I am. Uh, I suppose that comes from my background. Uh, my background as an adventurist so for 15 years, having done the really big events and having to push through a lot of dark places. And everyone I go into, you come out the other side and you realize, hang on, that actually wasn't that bad or it wasn't nearly as bad as my head made out that it was going to be one hour, 10 hours, two days ago or you know, whenever it is. And I think I always wanted to let people, you know, hit those limits and realize they can actually just punch straight through them very easy. And whether it's someone coming to my, you know, 5k run in in Joburg where they have to go up a this very steep mountain and climb 100, 200 meters and you see these, People who've just timed off the couch come there to think they can't do it. And it's, and you, they get to the end of the five K and to see the joy on their face is amazing that they've now pushed through that little boundary with them, or to get guys through adventure races that I put on and get them to the end and see their joy in, okay, she's, we actually got through that tough thing or seeing any other competitor getting through world championships or, or tough expedition races. And realizing actually nothing's really impossible, so yeah, that's always been you know a bit more of my philosophy is trying to get people to to push those boundaries and realize actually
0: there's uh, there's way more on the other side of the comfort zone. I agree with you 100 percent on that philosophy, and it's something that I see very often in in taking people to the mountains, in in watching other people race that. We tend to think, well, we are, we're we're soft in a civilized world because everything's comfortable and easy around us, but somewhere deeper than every single person, there's this ability to overcome. And once you start tapping that, your entire life can turn around and and change in significant ways. It's not just about being out in the mountain, but overcoming that one thing that pushing through a night can filter into the rest of your life in very positive ways.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I've gained from adventure racing is the help that it's given me in the rest of my life. Just realizing that anything you can actually get through anything. Uh, if it's a work issue, if it's not, if it's a personal issue, if it's if the shop doesn't have your this the thing you want, it's like I now know how to handle it better. Just because I've been in whatever zones on these races and realized actually nothing's actually an issue and nothing's
0: actually a, a problem yeah everything can be endured and overcome and
1: yeah exactly yeah, and
0: then there's the sense of community that these events that these events bring in as well aren't they? i mean this is a special event it's already got a special history anybody who races this whether they do it at the inaugural event coming up now or they do it over the next 10-15 years those people are all going to share this common bond of we did that event yeah. And and only those people understand what that is.
1: And I think that's that's a big part of this for us as well. Is it's not, you know, we're hoping that the people do that do sign up to this. This is not purely about those four days next year in November. This is about the year of 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 preparation and getting up into the mountains and exploring the mountains and realizing how beautiful it is, and also pushing themselves and like you said just building that community so going and going on the training camp and spending the time with the 30 other people just having a draw that weekend where it won't be about like well, how fast can we all run or whatever. it's just spending time with like-minded people getting up there maybe on your own or your teammate or with a couple of other teams and exploring up there to maybe find faster routes or saying hang on i'm not actually going to look for the fastest route i'm going to do and go on the escarpment. So now I see a different part of it. Um, so it's that's that's exciting. Is you know what what's what are people going to do as they now prepare and as they they build towards this event? It's and like you say, it's going to build a community. That's probably the most exciting thing, and the, the thing we're looking most forward to is is building the DGT community. There's already one as you've now um, you've interviewed
0: a lot of them that are in it, but bringing a lot more people into that fold. Yeah, it's going to be spectacular. Yeah, the race has been a long time coming, as you say. I think anybody who's been involved in the the event or in the DGT itself or or noticed it, who is a racer, has kind of gone, oh, it would be nice to have an actual race there.
1: It's not going to be be easy. uh, And there are some challenges, but we believe we can totally overcome all of those challenges and we're going to look after people. Let everyone... uh, tackle the goal and push their limits and get out of their comfort zones and, and arrive at Bushman's Manic with the, their biggest, uh, smile and, uh, biggest, uh, soul, your know, soul food event that they probably ever would have tackled
0: I can't think of, of two better people between you and Spurge to put this on. I mean, with your, your experience of racing and Spurge's knowledge of those mountains, um, and, and both of you being properly accomplished organizers already, we really can't think of anyone better to put this together.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's good. I think we we're also going to bring different things to the party. You know, we we will we will have slightly differing views, which is good because then you know we figure out what's actually then it maybe makes both of us change our perspective and find something even stronger and even better. It's an exciting. I'm I'm really looking forward to the next year of putting it all together.
0: That was Graham Bird, one of the organizers, along with Spurge Flemington, of the dgt run so what are you waiting for get your entries in get into the mountains get training find your training partner have a blast as always thank you for listening if you want to know more about mindful runner check us out at mindfulrunner.co.za on instagram you can find us at mindfulrunner. in the meantime enjoy your running happy trails and don't forget to subscribe